You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. listening and we're glad that you are. I'm Anna Townsend, Managing Editor of Plant Services and today's host for our podcast, The Tool Belt. Today I'm talking with Joe Kuhn, retired plant manager and now consultant, author, YouTube influencer, and our newest plant services columnist. You can read Joe's advice each issue in his leadership and action column. Today we'll discuss his book, which addresses many of the same themes and topics he'll address in his leadership column, such as starting small and growing your reliability program, the importance of observation, and how to sell maintenance and reliability. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Anna. Yeah, I am very happy to have you as a guest on our podcast today. And we have already welcomed you to the Plant Services family as our newest columnist. So you're very experienced in the field, and I know now you're doing some consulting work in your retirement. Um, I know you're also a YouTube influencer. So I, <laughs> I met you a while back at an SMRP conference a few years ago, right after everything sort of opened up after COVID. And you were you were talking about the YouTube videos that you make, and you were uh, making a joke about how your kids were so embarrassed that you called yourself a YouTube influencer, but I think it's great. And you've, you've been really successful with those. So at that same presentation, you had a stack of your book, uh, Zero to Hero, uh, Reliability Guidance from a Plant Manager. So I got a copy of your book uh, when you, when you gave them out and I did a review of that for, for plant services, um, you know, that has since turned into a series that I do regularly. I've read and reviewed seven other books, um, I've got a whole stack of them waiting for me. So thank you very much for being the inspiration for that. Um, and we'll talk more about your book today as well as some of the other things that you're doing. Um, but we really think it's been a, a fruitful relationship so far, and we appreciate all the time you've given to plant services. Um, and we're excited to see what else you've got. So I, I think you have a lot to share with our listeners and our readers. So first off, we just loved for them to learn a little bit more about you, your background, your experience, and what you're doing now since your retirement from your first career. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm married uh, 35 years. And I've got four adult children. They're all engineers. Super proud of them. None of them are in the house. It's just my wife and I here. Uh, I began my career um, as a maintenance engineer back in 1987. And I worked for a large aluminum company, you know, uh, called Alcoa. Think of a large steel mill, you know, one of those complexes that's like one mile by one mile. That's where I started off at. And then I migrated into uh, maintenance leadership and then production leadership. And then I started running larger departments throughout my career. So I quick, pretty quickly got out of engineering, but reliability and maintenance was always pinnacle to what you had to concentrate on at a heavy manufacturing facility, big rolling mill, uh, coating lines, casting pits, smelter, power generation, just a lot of equipment, um, kind of a great place for reliability and maintenance to cut your teeth on, by, uh, by the way. Uh, and then 
I became uh, a plant manager at uh, three different locations. I worked at as a as the location manager. One of my roles that I really cherished for four years, uh, and it was kind of a role I set up. You know, when the, one of those performance review discussions you're having about what's your dream job and where do you want to be. I was the global director for reliability and maintenance for Alcoa. And, you know, that allowed me to go to several countries, see best practices, help them with best practices, help them implement in their culture. Was challenging for me, you know, being English is my only language, uh, but, uh, you know, you really, there's a lot in common, a lot, like 99% in different organizations and cultures. So then I uh, I chose to retire at 54 years old after 32 years with Alcoa. The main driver for me is I had a message to get out regarding how to implement a reliability culture in a plant. Uh, I actually have an enormous amount of lean training, like Six Sigma kind of training, uh, waste elimination kind of training, uh, along with um, a lot of reliability training. I'm a CMRP. Uh, so I really have these two different um skill sets. And what I did is I was able to combine those and really get results a lot faster than most people uh, in the traditional way. I learned about reliability, maintenance, best practices, and, you know, implementing them at a plant. And it would take two to three years to kind of set the foundation, learn the skills, get the processes in line. Then if you can maintain that effort for two, three, four years, you could start to see an impact. Well, that just doesn't sell. And that's kind of like the the purpose of my book was to say, gosh, you can't go into the plant manager and says, hey, I got a great idea. Give me a million dollars and then I'll give you four million back five years from now. <laughs> that doesn't sell. So uh, I've got a process. And then, you know, like you said, I've, you know, I've got my book right here. Uh, it's on Amazon. But it's how do you get sustainable, scalable results very rapidly like i'm talking about you know 30 days 60 days 90 days how do you start to get those accomplishments uh and results so i just i wanted to get that word out that's why i retired and so i had no intention of starting youtube channel no intention at all uh that uh i wanted to go to conferences i wanted to write i wanted to do individual consulting you know then covid happened <laughs> and right. then, you know, it opened up this door to, you know, virtual and I'm reaching so many more people. Uh, I probably have maybe 250 videos uh, on reliability and maintenance, and it's all set up in playlists so you can look at it. Uh, and then I also expanded into retirement because somebody asked me, you know, said, You're, how old are you? Why'd you retire? So I got a lot of retirement videos out there. I think I just made yesterday my 410th video. So I got that YouTube channel and and I'm really just uh, from a reliability maintenance standpoint trying to say, hey, here's another way. Here's another way that you can solve the problems of needing short term results and also implementing best practices that may take some time. So that's why I retired. Good. Great message. I think you know, giving people the ability to start small and grow from there is so important because they gasp at that that big initial investment sometime. Okay. Um, well, we're really glad to have you writing for us and you're you're writing a column called Leadership in Action. 
Um, I love this title I because I, you know, I think it's so easy to talk about leadership in kind of intangible ways, but you're really good at sort of giving very practical hands-on advice. Um, and I think it's a theme that that shines through in your book too. So I want to circle back to some of those book themes, but first in general, you know, what do you hope to accomplish with your column or what would you like to help readers with? Really what I'm trying to do with the column is to uh, get people to take action. Okay. So many, so many times uh, you go to a conference and conferences, they frustrate me a little bit because, you know, you get 800 people together, they go to the conference, they're all inspired. Then they go back on Monday and it's just business as usual. What action can you take on Monday? So I try to write uh, where you can act upon them, not just gain knowledge and say, yeah, that's a good thing to do, but it won't work in my culture. So that's that's the message I'm trying to get out there and that it's not that hard. You don't have to go up, you know, I use a sports term. You don't have to go up and hit a home run every time. You don't have to have brilliant ideas. Small steps taken every day make a huge difference. If you can make one change a week, a year later, you've made some dramatic change. So that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, also, why specifically leadership? This is the area in reliability and maintenance that I think there is just a giant vacuum. Not trying to offend anybody listening here, but there's a giant vacuum in leadership. And what I mean by leadership is taking risk, okay? Taking risk for a better tomorrow. Simple example, you you adopt uh, predictive technologies in your plant. You do, you know, some IR routes, vibration routes, all those kind of things to see failures earlier. But you keep all the PMs that are time-based. And so you 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 got your time-based PMs and you add something to that really out of fear. You don't drop this, the time-based maintenance away and have that, those people focus on problem solving, Okay, or on, you know, maybe reducing contractor spend, something like that. Um, so it's just risk, risk averse. And so I'm challenging people to lead in reliability and maintenance because there, there are and taking uh, chances has a risk with it. Leaders know how to do that. Managers manage stuff. Uh, so that's that's kind of the intent with the article is to inspire action and to have a call to action for leaders. Taking risk for a better tomorrow. I like that. Um, and I think it's important to make the distinction between managers and leaders. I think there's a lot to be said there. Um, okay, so your your first column for plant services was called Go and See, and it was about creating a reliability culture at your plant. So can you talk about what you mean by go and see and, and how does that relate to your company's reliability journey? Okay, very, very key topic here. In, and this is the essence of combining lean concepts with reliability and maintenance uh, concepts. First thing you need to understand is every reliability and maintenance best practice is designed to eliminate waste. That's all it is. Why do you do PMs? Okay, you want to... Take the mean time between failure out. You want to make it bigger. You want equipment to last. Okay. Why do you do planning? Okay. You do planning so that, you know, a work crew has the parts and pieces to do the job, plus has the coordination with production, maybe 
uh, environmental or safety to do a job. You all, it's kind of the huddle that happens and it's to make the work more efficient and to make the outages as small as possible and to make the precision as good as possible. That's why every single reliability and maintenance tool eliminate waste, okay? That's what it's about. Now, so doesn't it make sense to know the waste in your plant before you start implementing tools. So th this is one of the problems with traditional deployment of reliability best practices. They just start deploying the best practices randomly at their plant, okay? Without knowing the problems they have in their plant, okay? So that's fundamental. Also, KPIs, I think we all, KPIs, key performance indicators and opinion, those two added together never equal reality. They do not equal reality. If you're basing your decisions, your actions on the KPIs and your opinion, your experience, you're making a mistake. You have to add observation to that. That's go and see. Okay. So do you have it as part of your culture to go and see? Somebody brings you a problem. Okay. They say we got five mechanics that are going to retire at the end of this year. We need to replace five mechanics. That's that sounds reasonable. We got this many work hours, we got this much backlog, we got this many PMs. We need to replace these five people. You know, hundred, you know, say they're a hundred thousand dollar piece, that a piece that's a five hundred thousand dollar decision. There that's probably on the low side. It's probably closer to seven hundred thousand. Okay. That sounds reasonable. What about going and seeing? Let's go see reality. Okay. Reality, most of the plants I go into uh, have an effectiveness of their people measured by wrench time. Okay. I don't want to go off into that, but it's just a really an effectiveness measure of about 15%. I've seen 10, I've seen maybe 20, but so you want to hire five people to be 15%. Now people argue what world-class is. Some people say 50 in some organizations, like if you're working on an elevated crane, uh, overhead crane, working on the roof, heavy equipment, a lot of safety rules, 50% uh, wrench time is kind of you know, hard to get. But I've seen 30, I've seen 35, I've seen 40. So going from 15% to 30% is not that hard to do with some best practices if you know where your waste is. So those five people that are, that are you know, attriting out, do, you know, they've, they've retired, they're doing great things. Do you need to replace them or can you put in systems to make every employee, instead of being 15% efficient, 20% efficient, then you may have five too many people even after they retire. And when I say five too many, don't think that's a waste. Now I can assign people to condition monitoring. Now I can assign people to problem solving. Now I can have one operate as a kid or stager. I can have an additional planner. You got all these different roles to uh, invest those people in by knowing the waste that's at your plant. So one of the things I did at my plant is I required uh, this is the one of the things you can do as plant manager. <laughs> I required 16 hours of observation to be part of every data set. So when somebody came in and presented, uh, they say, okay, here's the KPI. Here's my experience. Okay. And here's my observation data to go along with it. It changes the conversation. 
it totally changes your decisions. And what but's the one of the greatest things about that is when you understand the problem better by adding observation, most of the improvement ideas are free. Free. You don't have to hire people. You don't have to ask, hey, I know how to get a lube excellence program out there. I just need a hundred thousand dollars. You can probably have 80% of a lube excellence program for free. Okay. Okay. So that's that's what I love about observation and go and see. It gives free solutions that you can implement on Monday, next Tuesday, a month from now. That's the essence of what I'm talking about of combining lean with reliability and maintenance best practices. Go and see. It's missing almost every plant I go into. They'll tell me, here's what's going on. Here's the help white we need. Here's the solution. Have you gone out and observed? No. Well, let's go out for the next three days and observe. Let's just go out. And when I do that with somebody, with the plant manager, with the maintenance manager, 100% of the time, they're shocked. 100%. And guess, and I, I like to say this, Anna, that the, uh, 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 the day that I choose to observe and go and see with somebody in a plant, guess what? It's the worst day the plant has ever had. <laughs> it never runs like this. This is the worst day we've ever had. And then we observe the second day. Guess what the second day is? This is the second worst day we've ever had in this plant. The third day we go out and they go, you know, maybe we need help. Maybe we don't understand our current state. So that's what go and see is all about. It'll change. If you want to accelerate your career, anybody listen to this, you want to accelerate your career, add go and see, add observation to your data set. You'll be right more often. You'll implement solutions faster and for almost no cost. Good advice that's, for all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And that that's the essence of my book. My book really kind of chronicles the first 30 days as a maintenance manager in a plant. What do you do? How do you how do you decide what to work on? And, you know, you know, the previous maintenance manager couldn't hire people, needed more money, all that kind of stuff that gets in the way. We got this new production product that's getting in our way. Um, so it kind of works through how to do that uh, effectively. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the bigger themes from your book. Um, you know, you have a ton, as I said, of really hands-on advice for just getting started um, on your reliability journey, you know, how to get more out of your current program or how to take what you're already doing and kind of take it up to the next level. So I do encourage everyone to pick up the book. Um, as you said, you can get it on Amazon. Um, but here, let's zero in on a few important concepts. Uh, you know, how is reliability a continuous process and why is it important to, you know, continually sell reliability within your organization? Well, one reason, the number one go-to tool of some managers, top level managers, is to cut cost. Okay, that is always out there. Everybody... Anybody that's been in reliability and maintenance knows the evil words is we need to cut cost. Now, those people can look at the R&M organization and see them as a cost or they can see them as a waste elimination machine. That's all determinant to uh, buy how much you sell. OK, so you got to have a a. a, a, a I think a pretty formal plan to say, how are we going to sell our successes in reliability maintenance? 
one of the things I like saying is nobody knows about the failures that you didn't have. Okay, so if you go out there in reliability and maintenance and you you find a problem with your motors and you used to spend a million dollars on motor maintenance, motor repairs a year, just pick a number, million dollars, and you cut that down to $100,000 and you don't, you just really 90% less failures, $100,000, who knows about that? <laughs> it, it, it just happened. Well, and and I'm telling you, the production folks will be very quick to say, well, we're just we're running better, man. We're we're running this equipment better. We're making more money. We're spending less. This is great. The R&M people need to say, wait a second. Let's connect the dots here. We identified motor maintenance as an issue. It was our top issue the last 10 years. We identified it. We took these three actions, three actions, and look what's happened. Here's a $900,000 savings. We project that out. So you got to sell that. You got to connect the dots. You got to do that maybe in a monthly newsletter. I like to do it in a monthly newsletter plus some email blasts. So like just some very simple, you take a picture of something. Hey, we found this on infrared. Last time um, this this cost us $50,000 to repair. And this time it cost $25. And you just, that's that's the whole email. And so you're hitting I had one person on my staff that I told asked them to write two email blasts a week. So we were just boom, getting that sales pitch out every single week. And then at the end of the month, we were connecting the dots on a bigger level. You do this, you establish this culture of we are the money saving machine. When business drops off by 15, 20%, the knock on the door says, Joe, how can you go faster instead of we need we, I need you to cut your budget by a million dollars. I need you to cut your budget by 10%. So that the continuous selling you do that because cost cutting, you cannot have that be the best option. Why do why does a vice president come in and say I need to cut cost 10%? Just cut it. It's because they have no better ideas. We have got to give them a better idea. And we got a better idea. But we have to know that we are in sales. Make sense? Interesting. I like it. Um, okay, so this last question is an interesting one as well. And I don't think we would have a consensus if we asked a group of people this question. <laughs> so who owns reliability, Joe? Maintenance, operations, management, what do you think? <laughs> you're, Go you're baiting me because <laughs> uh i i strongly contend that there is a right answer to this it there's there's not a debate uh if it's operations operations owns reliability the simplest example is anna who owns the reliability of your car you take you're the one that drives it you're the one that listens to it you take your car into the maintenance shop for the 100,000 mile check and they say, I don't know, yeah, man, this belt looks bad. <laughs> your tires are bald and your transmission's making noises. Uh, and then you say, I don't want to fix that. And then you drive on down the road. You're going out to Yellowstone National Park on vacation. Your car breaks down. Do you blame the mechanic? No, <laughs> there, there are, uh, and I got to give uh, uh, kudos to my buddy Rodney. He he coined this. Uh, there are advisors and deciders for reliability. 
the deciders is operations. They decide to give up the equipment for maintenance. You know, if, if I ask for a 12 hour outage and they give me four and say, do the best you can, who owns it? Operations owns it. Okay. They're advisors and deciders. Maintenance R&M people are advisors. They're saying, here's the PM we need to do. Here's why we, there's the condition monitoring. Here's the action we need to take. Okay. So they're, they're advising the decider, the owners of reliability and maintenance, the owners of it, definitely operations. Now that doesn't make the job of a maintenance manager or the reliability engineer any easier. They've got to be great advisors. They got to sell, they got to convince and they have to be efficient. Okay. So uh, there's so much to do there, but um, yeah, you'd like to say it's a partnership, but I, you know, I just don't, I have never found that to be true that it's a partnership. It's operations owned. Soon as you make that decision, and soon as the uh, the president or whoever's over the the plant manager or or the you know production manager, as soon as they figure out, I'm going to start holding you, the production manager, in charge of a reliability. Watch everything change. You'll have the time for the outages. Okay, you'll have the time to do that because they'll see it as an advantage instead of an excuse or something to blame on somebody else. It'll change the culture of your plant, that one thing. Make operations in charge of reliability. Watch what happens. We've convinced me. I think you made a good case. <laughs> and I like advice, or what was it? Ad advisors versus Advisors deciders. and deciders. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I hope our readers and listeners got to know you a little bit better. Um, I think they did. And if you're interested in reading more from Joe, you can find him in Plant Surfaces with his leadership and action column. Um, again, check out his Zero to Hero book. Um, and Joe, where can folks find you on YouTube if they're looking for you? YouTube, just type in Joe Kuhn, J-O-E-K-U-H-N. I'll come up. You'll see my face. <laughs> Great. Yeah. All right. Well, we're also hoping to bring Joe back for a new podcast series with us where he'll give sort of quick hands on advice on common industry issues. So more on that soon. Um, but Joe, thanks for joining us today on the Tool Belt podcast. And we look forward to having you back soon. Thanks for having me. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks, you, Anna.